Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Iteration is how you get good at get good at things and create good things, because your first iteration is bad. First, first drafts are bad, usually, in my experience. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. everyone thank you for coming to the draw your dice podcast my name is jeremy gage as you heard in the intro but as always the show is never about me it is about who i have brought to you today and who i have brought to you today is uh maybe self-proclaimed number one fan of the show i don't know they've you know they've been binging it since they found it in the course of a couple months they are a light the larp designer they are a game designer or a tabletop game designer because those things should be separate but also inclusive Anyways, let's welcome to the show Eric Faber. And the crowd goes wild. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Eric. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. This is uh this is an honor. Oh god. A dream of mine. A dream of mine I've had for uh for a month and a half. Yes, I yes, I saw I the tweet. <laughs> Ever since I saw the tweet of get me on there, I said, we're going to get Eric on there. Goes to show I read, I read the tweets. I'm, I'm tweet, tweet at the show. If I'm you're connected. a, if you're a, a game designer listening to this podcast and, and, and you want to be on it, just tweet at Jeremy. Just Cause yell you can't ignore it. Eric, would you give a brief introduction of who you are and how you present yourself to the internet for folks who may not uh, be aware of who you are? Yeah, my name is Eric Faber. I am a game designer from from way up north, up on Lake Superior. We I've, I'm at Eric at Airborne Ham on Twitter and airborneham.itch.io on itch. 
You can find my games there. I've got a couple of games on itch these days. I've been making board games and stuff and tabletop RPGs now. Woo! Woo! So many things. As an additional icebreaker for the show per every episode, Eric, would you also just give a brief lineage of your experience in the tabletop space, sort of like what was the first game that got you into the hobby, and then what was maybe the first sort of experience that got you to start designing games as well? Yeah, so my first tabletop role-playing game was, I guess, also the first game I designed sort of in seventh grade in seventh grade in study hall my friends and i were playing i forget who somebody brought it it was basically you had a map that was hand drawn of a fantasy landscape i think oblivion was big at the time and and you we we somebody's older sibling had played D D and they found out about that and brought roll a d6 and we find out what happens one person's the gm but we didn't call it that and and you just sort of told a story we didn't have stats or anything we had a a piece of paper with all of your inventory that you picked up along the way and we just sort of took turns free flow gm character storytelling in a seventh grader's version of oblivion and i i we played that for years in study halls through seventh and eighth grade and into high school i still have i I ended up making like massive maps that i hand drew with each individual tree drawn in pencil of these huge maps that i made and i still have them in a folder somewhere i found them when i moved and uh yeah that we we was roll a d6 and sixes are good and ones are bad (laughs) And uh, that was the game we played. And so, and I just GM'd that for three years in my formative years before in high school, we kind of stumbled into actual Dungeons and Dragons and the eight hour long basement sessions with Mountain Dew and two combats. And it wasn't really until just as I, like my senior year of high school, there was a guy at the my local game shop who was wrote his own game called Cityscape. It was a cyberpunk game, and it was basically a D and D clone, also. But it was a, got a bunch of unique tech in it, and he kind of introduced me to the idea of like, yeah, you can just make your your own games. And so I, we played that for a while, and I ended up taking that D twenty class system. And making my own like 1920s mobster game out of it that never Ooh. got past just classes and stats and abilities. But that I put a lot of work into over the summer one year. And then I found, as I was going to college, I found World of Darkness, like just the core World of Darkness book. And mm-hmm. that sort of opened me up to the fact that there are published games out there that are like not just fantasy because i'm pretty over fantasy so i've played world of darkness and i played savage worlds and when we when i came back from college and stayed in my hometown again i got a new group together i got of of some of my old friends that were still in the area and we started doing weekly rpg nights that was probably about six years ago every wednesday night we meet and we play an rpg and our goal was basically we're gonna play not D&D. And we have done that successfully since. I think I've played Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition 
twice <laughs> since <laughs> high school or since it got that released. And yeah, yeah. And then that group of people I met, I met the people who were running Haunted Mansion, the, the LARP that I ended up stumbling into running for three years. They were running Haunted Mansion at the local college, which was basically just a building was taken over by students playing a hidden role game with goals mm-hmm. and and when the when that generation of kids graduated it stopped happening and we kind of took it out of the college and into our local town and i ran that for 3 years and i dabbled in board game design but that's a nightmare to get into that that is a very big barrier of entry <laughs> oh, and then i and then i I've been working on tabletop RPGs and other games on the side, but yeah, Haunted Mansion for the past three years until COVID happened two years ago, mm-hmm. and then we stopped. <laughs> and, uh, Good. I haven't Good. done much for the past couple of years. That was long and rambly, but yeah, that's my origin story, I guess. I I love it. Uh, it's a great origin story. I love that your first game was a a home brewed game, which is which is great. I think that, I mean, I, I don't want to say what is the right and wrong start or even like hint at that, but I think it's really interesting that you were able to start with an experience that was very free form and kind of like didn't leave you trapped by like preconceived first impressions, right? Like I know for some of my friends, like their first game is D&D 5th edition and it's hard to imagine like what other games could do or like yeah. mm-hmm. math formulas or like themes or settings or whatever have you. Yeah. And... It's really hard to get people out of that. Like you have to kind of like drag them in, sit them at a table and go here, play this game that only <laughs> uses cards and is about like high school. <laughs> It sounds it's, like CIA deprogramming. It's, it's not Dungeons and Dragons, but it's still fun. <laughs> All right, great, we did it. Games can be not a D twenty. Yeah, not yeah, just not a single D twenty. D twenties are um, bad dice, and you can't change my mind. They listen. They're the they're one of the few geometric shapes that don't have what is it called? It's like a certain term for sides, but it's not perfect probability because the faces don't make the same shapes all the all the way around oh, the d20 really? like there's there's three different shapes that no, occur on a d20, d20 so it's not perfect it's not perfect probability it's like two or three different combinations of faces huh. make up different shapes weird yeah that's... we're on like other dice the shape of the faces are all the same like right. for d4 all the way up to d12 but yeah 20s are just dumb there's a really cool like probability dice video out there from like 12 years ago that i watched about like probability dice math and go check that out if you want to know what the fuck i'm talking about because i can't explain it properly (laughs) but i just know that d20 is not perfect it's not it's not the best probability dice but yeah yeah i starting not i i realized like in my early 20s when I started playing games that weren't D&D that like, oh yeah, I started playing games that were roll a D6 and we kind of vibe it out. That's the, my first game. And so I was never really happy with D&D and the like the kind of forced structure mm-hmm. that it, it 
kind of baked you into. So, like, games I've enjoyed and made sense are way more loosey-goosey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if OSR means... I don't know what OSR means, but I think <laughs> I <laughs> OSR seems like my vibe. We played Morkborg for the first time uh, a few weeks ago, and that was, Yay. like, my jam. Because you just sort of, like, I don't know, roll dice... <laughs> Yeah, figure it out, Chief. Damage happens. The GM <laughs> says stuff. Like that's the that's the kind of game that I I thrive in. I don't want to mm-hmm. have to reference the rule book that much. Yeah. Uh, Shadowrun. As much as the 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 game is uh, cool, it is a lot. It's too much. So much. It's an insane amount of much. Yeah, I think that when I, I think that when I think about story games i like when sort of the rules can like get out of the way like it just has sort of like procedures on top of a couple of like randomly generated outcomes right so whether that be deterministic or not i think when it comes to games like DD fifth edition or pathfinder or shadow run right i i look at those games as like not necessarily story games like we put role play on top of it because that's sort of like the medium it's engaging with but i look at them more as like like games like tactical like i'm playing fire emblem like that's how i look at D fifth edition oh, or something yeah, like that. yeah and i think when <laughs> it's approached from that lens i think it's a little bit more satisfying because you're like okay our objective here are to be like the best units like you're not yeah. playing an army necessarily but like i'm playing the paladin I was actually, I was talking to my friend about, like, there, there was that discourse about 4th edition being the best D&D for a while, and, mm-hmm. and how, like, I mean, fundamentally it is really good at the combat, like, the tactical combat side of things, mm-hmm. and and he was talking about how his favorite experience, his, his favorite experience with 5th edition was this big, large-scale, mapped-out town siege on mm-hmm. Roll20, and they each kind of controlled little squads of people in addition to their ordinary characters. Mm-hmm. And it got us just down a rabbit hole of why don't we use D&D's combat system to do campaign-based tactical, like, miniature wargaming. Like, yeah. one of the things I've always wanted, like, uh, Mordheim was a, a miniature wargame that had a campaign to it. Like, your, mm-hmm. your units leveled up and stuff. But, like, I've never been happy with anything that I've found that d- tries to do that. Just use D&D. Fifth edition, start a character at fit level five. Have three characters at level one. That's your squad. Every mm-hmm. player gets a squad. Go do war campaigns and stuff. And then you get to have your five-hour session. Or, yeah, your five-hour combats <laughs> that are just yeah. big, and, big and splashy. It just seems like a really cool way to use the system for what I would argue it's probably intended to be used for. Yeah. I, I mean, that's always up for discussion to who, whomever is listening to this particular episode, but it, you know, the other, like a couple of weeks ago, me and my partner were playing a game of chess and I was just thinking like, you know what? Like you could put a war story on top of chess. Like, you could say something like, oh, these three pawns, like the narrative is that they're waiting in like trench or something like that with spears. And when the knight comes over, there's another like pond, uh, pond that's protecting all the other pawns. And like, it's this, it's this moment of like the knight fell down in the trench and like was ambushed essentially. Or like, 
the positioning of your queen, like she's been plotting the whole time to like take out the cleric or bishop, right? It's like she keeps maneuvering herself in the court or whatever, and then uh, boom, strikes and takes the bishop, right? Like uh, I think I really it's, like the like imagery of like the pawns and soul and knights being like the battlefield, but the yeah. queen and the bishops being like like diplomatic warfare. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. There's something there. <laughs> There's juice there, baby. Hashtag juice nation. But yeah, basically what I'm alluding to is I, I think that if I think, I think what's the discourse around five E the common discourse is that we always get into a conversation of like, if you're trying to run a heist in D and D it's not going to work, right? Like that's that's one of like the common examples. You can't run like murder mystery or heisty stuff with D&D because it doesn't have the tools for that. I mean, it has skill checks, but those are sort of like, yeah, if you, you took can. away everything else and just ran <laughs> skill checks, that's yeah. a different game. You can run D&D. It's just you're, it's not going to be good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that if, if we instead recontextualize the lens and like really leaned into like probably why a lot of people like D and D fourth edition is like it leaned into the fact that it yeah. was like a tactics fight game. Whereas mm-hmm. like, I think fifth edition was trying to capture the story gamer, right. Or trying to get that audience. Yeah. Fifth edition uh, was trying to get all the people that abandoned because of fourth edition, because yeah. that 3.5 was the greatest thing ever made. <laughs> Again, up for discussion. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying here we are and all the fans are like, "No, it's second edition." <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, everyone has their own flavor of D&D they fell in love with, maybe. Uh, <laughs> the only thing I miss from D&D is making a character that's level 12 or something and mm-hmm. having like 30 PDFs and just was like <laughs> patching together this abomination of a of a character with like I miss spending five hours making a character. That was the game for me. After that, yeah. whatever. I'm some half minotaur, half dragon, kobold, nightmare monster because of the stats that it like it was a it was a power game like number crunching system to teenage Eric Faber. There's and there's something also about like zooming in on a tactics game, right? Because when you when you zoom out, you're playing like a heavy text game. You have that squadron, right? Or you could even have like a legion, a platoon, a whole army, whatever scale you want to uh, call it. But when you take that elastic scope and you zoom down to like an individual unit, that's potential, or even like squadron level. That's where like the potential of like story really occurs in like the minutiae, right? And it's also about like the different. I think also story is very elastic in scope because the story of a legion is different than the story of like a general or the story of a a ragtag set of misfits who disobeyed orders, but save the day anyways. Right. Like we see those sorts of war stories all the time in different mediums. So I think if they just leaned into like mechanics that were very like war combat centralized, I think people would figure out how to story tell outside of that and still create really good narratives. I mean, if I'm able to do it with chess, then like anyone's able to do it with a more tactically structured and people have right D and D fourth edition. People played it, people made stories out of it. And like, it's certainly possible. So I think it's just fifth edition is trying to do too many things at one time. And that's where they like fight about it. And I would love to see bloated. 
Yeah, yeah. And I would love to see a fifth, like two fifth editions, right? I would love to see a fifth edition that did focus on the tactics and a fifth edition that focused on like the theater of the mind or the narrative, right? Like if they could, if they're, someone could figure out how to like separate those two things, but it could still have the same like adventure fantasy flavor. I think a lot of people would be really happy with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then at that point you're just saying, let's just make, let's make our own (laughs) adventure fantasy game. (laughs) Let's make two adventure fantasy games, Jeremy. And then we'll just pitch them at wizards and see See literally what they do that's what i mean ultimately that's what umbral dive and astral journey are but you know one day those will come but anyways that's not that's not about me but yeah i think i think there's some really interesting the other piece of sort of your lineage i want to touch on is that you you started running haunted mansion but you've done a lot of different styles of larps in different are they called conventions am i using the right term like thinking about dystopia rising and stuff like yeah that. so we have yeah D, and there's dr i forgot to mention that yeah so they're different dystopia rising is a like large scale larp event that is it's a national larp there are branches across the country there if you're on the east coast there's probably a branch within a couple hours of you if not closer if you're on if you're in the Midwest, it's an it's a, it's a drive to your closest dystopia rising branch. I would be a bad ambassador if I didn't say you should go check it out. You can find your local branch on Dystopia Rising's website. I don't it's probably dystopiarisinglarp.com or something like that. But the 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 each branch is run by an independent like the the owner, the the director of that game. Mm-hmm. So they all have different vibes, and I've never been outside of Wisconsin's game ever. <laughs> but you can take your characters to all the different ones. It's like a huge, grand scale. Your character levels up, or you get XP and you buy skills, and it's got a big economy. It's kind of like an MMO, but a LARP, which is wildly different from Haunted Mansion, which is what we were running in the cultural center in my town that uh, was like three hours of we designed a new game from the ground up every month using a basic framework. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was more of like, sometimes it was hidden roles and there was like backstabbing and, and sometimes there was like different tasks you had to achieve. The theme would change every month. The mechanics would, we would overhaul the mechanics and iterate. It was constant iteration. Uh, Haunted Mansion is definitely where the bulk of my game design experience comes from, because mm-hmm. over the course of three years, I designed 30, 35 games of Haunted Mansion. Whoa. Something like that. It was a lot. We, we did a lot of Haunted Mansion. And yeah, so like, what's an example that I can use? One game. Let's, what's a game I'm really proud of? Battle Pets is the game that I should talk about. So we we've been running Haunted Mansion for years, and at one point, somebody mentioned make Pokemon the Haunted Mansion game. And the Haunted Mansion at its core is just you put anywhere from fifteen to thirty people in a building. Preferably, your building is three floors with staircases on either sides and an elevator. We happened to go from one building that was like that at the college to another building that had a very similar layout, so it worked out great. So you have multiple ways to go up and down between the floors, multiple like 
rooms so you can do like secret interactions and dealings you can cordon off different mechanics and different locations so and then players would get a role that we wrote with sometimes a name sometimes a descriptor a role which is a little bio a little backstory for you to go off of and then goals your primary goal which is the thing you achieve you need to do to win and your secondary goal which is something else to do to have fun and then we would, as game runners, we would play the NPCs and run the game and make sure people are doing stuff. But it was all very like player driven. Like we go, go solve these puzzles and you go and have to go interact with the game. We can't really make people have fun at Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can just provide you the avenue to do it. And it was all free and and. and we were just volunteering hundreds of hours of our time. But yeah, Haunted Mansion, we, we, we would design it from the ground up every month. And like Battle Pets was me going, I bet I can make Pokemon work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so like we, we found a way. It was really, it wasn't our best game, but it was really good example of like, how do me and my design partner, Matt, would sit down and be like, how do you make players that are Pokemon have fun? Like, how do you make somebody who is a monster that has to follow directions of the per- of the trainer get to have, like have agency and fun? And so we had to like, like you give yourself design constraints like that, mm-hmm. and you have to go, okay, well, what if you could be a wild pet or a trained pet, and you can choose whether you want to be wild or tr- captured, and you can go between those two or you can be a just a a trainer with a pet or you can be a solo trainer and like your mechanics of the game operated completely differently based on like what category of trainer or pet you were in whether you were a duo or whether you were alone and so we did a lot of wild weird mechanics with just like okay this is the assumption this is the gimmick this is the genre we did a we did a Five Nights at Freddy's game called Three Nights at Teddy, where one of our one of our designers dressed up as a giant animatronic teddy bear and tried to kill people. Yeah, so it, it, Haunted Mansion is was definitely a lesson in iteration and just tr- giving yourself constraints mm. to and trying to figure out how to make it work, and then figuring out how to make sure people were s- still having fun. Like if like Haunted Mansion, you could die. Like you could there were knives and Nerf guns, little foam knives and Nerf guns. And and you, you people could die, so you had to figure out how to make sure when you died, you still got to engage and play the game. Right. So, like, if you die, you went down to our NPC monster camp where we would suit you up and run you out as NPCs, monsters, whatever, to help engage the other players that are still alive. And so some people liked that more. That's a thing we took kind of from Dystopia Rising because, like, mm-hmm. you have to cast, spend four hours of your weekend as an NPC at DR, just because otherwise you don't have zombies in the zombie game Right. if you don't have people volunteering. And some people just love that way more than playing. So I don't know, I'm rambling at this point, but... Not at all. I think that answered a question. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you've listened to the show, but there was a point in time where me and my, me and my siblings would pretend to be Pokemon and Pokemon trainers for a very long time. Probably oh, yeah. Probably up until, I think until we were about 14 or so, 14 or 15 maybe. When did I live in that house? 
Yeah, probably about 14. And, you know, two of us would be the trainer. Two of us would be the Pokemon. Ideal flamethrower. And one of my siblings would roar. And we would, there would be a flamethrower that's coming out the mouth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we hands. Ga- we gamified that. We had uh, little foam, like, basketballs and little foam soccer balls that were, like, your various pokemon attacks and Uh pokeballs to capture pokemon and like we had arenas that were like this is the gym this is where you're allowed to battle (laughs) and then we had people we had just adults (laughs) like this is a game where some people from dr and like one of my friend's dad who's like 50 or whatever came to visit and he larps he he played vampire and stuff so he came to haunted mansion to see what we were doing and it happened to be battle pets and so we just had these like grown adult people dressed as pokemon and and trainers kind of dancing around chucking foam balls at each other and (laughs) that is like peak there's pictures of it up on our website from (laughs) mansion (laughs) it is quality that's what i live for i want to make people do absurd things for the sake of games for the sake of fun Yes, for the sake of fun. Just be ridiculous. It is so fun to be ridiculous. I think it's amazing. Well, with with all of that, I think this is a wonderful time to transition into, you know, your one of your more recent projects in the tabletop role-playing game space. Let's let's talk about Noble Core. of be ridiculous noble <laughs> core fate of the shattered galaxy exists that's the you have to say the full thing i i uh, so so uh noble core now auto corrects to all caps in my phone keyboard <laughs> because whenever i type it i make it all caps and now that's just how it it's it's artistically presented as noble core in it. all caps well, so would you just give a brief introduction of what Noble Core is, Eric, for those who may not have read it yet? Yeah, Noble Core is uh, is a where's my my description? It's a epic power metal science fantasy game where you are heroes from across the galaxy working to save the galaxy from the the evil of Zarthanax. It's it is a super lightweight little game that I just fever dreamed into existence because I I just had I'd been like thinking about doing something I'd listened I spent a good part of 2020 listening to just Glory Hammer it was like the top <laughs> of my Spotify Wrapped for 2020 because I was just depressed and didn't have anything to do after covid stopped us from running haunted mansion and i stopped i hosted trivia weekly i was just i went from being very busy to having absolutely nothing to do so you know 2020 was a bad year for everyone i listened to noble core to get energy and be psyched or i listened to glory hammer and i always want had this idea of making a game or running a game that was kind of in that surreal absurd over-the-top science fantasy setting Mm -hmm. with, like, 
legendary enchanted jetpacks and just super silly stuff that is self-aware of how silly it is, but not like inherently comedic. And so I kind of, I started listening to this podcast and went, wow, you can just write games and put them on itch. That's great. (laughs) I'm going to just do that. (laughs) And I wrote this game in like two days. And and it's great. It slaps. It is. It's Aww. got a lot of it, it. It bleeds juice. It just bleeds energy. <laughs> yes, I I totally agree. One of the one of the first things that really got me about Noble Core is sort of like the the presentation of the reference document coming from the the noble core protocol computer i think that's amazing i've all it really taps into a conversation i have with some friends about like how do we how we write games so it's just not like a dry reference document or like there i know there's a conversation a while back about like what is the voice of your game right and i think this is just oozing with voice like i think you found the perfect in its presentation for anyone who's not seen or read the book there's like a sort of like a light green imagine the fucking um it's a command prompt it's a a command prompt yes thank you i couldn't it's a terminal computer from the fallout games that yes that is the that is the look it's so good it's so 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 good another another thing and i don't know if you meant that meant to do this but i also get some vibes of like like sort of like voltron slash masters of the universe kind oh, of feel Masters of the universe yeah yeah also fantastic point of reference yeah. we, we just played it the other day i actually just play tested it for the first time on saturday it was the first time i got to play this game and kung fury if you've seen that movie that it's a lot of that energy one of one of my friends played played basically hackerman from the coming theory with like the nintendo power gloves as their as their relic yeah it's a lot of that and like it does i we i don't know what else to say other than like it just you it, it you're encouraged to make it like make stuff very specific and mm-hmm. not necessarily grounded at all like it's it's got a lot of vibe it's uh it's very like specifically high concept pieces like it's just it's and so you were talking about how there was a sort of fever dream but what was like the sparking idea for this was it the music that was sort of like putting you in the space did you watch something like how did this come into the fever dream mode yeah so last so 2020 i listened to a lot of glory hammer i got super into just glory hammer because i love that people dress up as characters in a absurd like sci-fi science fantasy setting and sing about it like they have a song called the legendary enchanted jetpack and that is great that is so good that is i unironically adore the energy and passion that like the epic power metal bands put into that aesthetic Mm -hmm. because it like 
like they obviously are taking it seriously and care and put it work into it but they're they're self-aware they know it's ridiculous they're dressed in fantasy armor it's called the legendary enchanted jetpack it's silly but it's like like silly with with intent and Mm -hmm. without being like without being satirical i guess yeah 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 good and good, so, good word and so like i i played i was playing rpgs as you do and i was talking to one of my friends i was like man i really want to run a, a game that's just got that energy in it and so it was just in the back of my mind for a while the the just the setting and wanting to run a game like that and then yeah i i I always just sort of had that in the back of my head. I listened to a lot of Glory Hammer still. I put together a playlist of more bands also. And then and then I was just working on... I just, like, made a, a document and kind of just wrote it. Like, I can't... I, I, it, it stemmed from a... Like, mechanically, it stemmed from a few different projects that have been working on and off of over the past couple of years Mm -hmm. my friend quinn who i would like to get to do like some layout and art for this game because they are incredible at that stuff they did all the design for haunted mansion art and they they were introduced they they designed a game that was used a lot of mechanics this kind of evolved from i had a game that was a like very simple D6 system that this was originally going to be using. And then I went, nah, I want (laughs) dice rolls to be hype. So let's add more dice and make them explode. And so it became, it sort of, it kind of grew from that, that like system that is, was very simple. Like pick a skill. That's your skill. Now pick a, like pick a, 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 thing and you're good at that and and we grew it it just sort of grew from that as i wrote it yeah i i am envious of that for sure that like sort of just the font of creation you were able to drink from it through glory hammer and come into (laughs) its full existence in such a short amount of time which is which is really awesome but you also have and not to just harp on like saying oh like eric is very gifted or talented but like you also have a lot of creative writing over the course of the last several years because of all i know you write a ton for like you said you did the iterations experimentation all of the haunted mansion gatherings and adventures and you are you're kind of constantly in a creative writing state so it's it's amazing that your skill allowed you to attain something in such a short amount of time and once you had like a huge idea around it i'm jealous of me too because i <laughs> have another project that is not going very far because because once you get past that initial like hyper focus energy of just like oh, this is great and then you write it game design is hard yeah <laughs> it's really hard to maintain <laughs> it's really is hard. Hard to, it is it's very difficult it's really hard to maintain that I'm I'm fortunate that this kind of came out in a couple of days and like just patched together into this because mm-hmm. and it's very simple like it's not mechanically complex it's mm-hmm. mostly me trying to fit as many 
goofy words into the rules text as possible. Like, I, and I also, yeah, and that like that that helped me write a lot of it too. Is like, I I do a lot of writing, like short stories and and creative writing. I have a writers workshop that we've been meeting once a month for a few years now, uh-huh. and and so we, I do a lot of writing on just for fun, and so that helps kind of just gives you momentum or gives me momentum i guess Mm because like mm -hmm. if i'm writing narrative in the rules it is a lot more fun and a lot less dry than Mm -hmm. going i need to fill out this table with stuff so you go like what's a line from this that's super fun the noble core protocol has selected you to take on the role of the galaxy's (laughs) hero like this is rules text but it's written from the the voice of the noble core protocol, <laughs> which is some, commercials. Yeah. It's amorphous computer program that has like detected. And I think energies of anti chaos is written in here. Like <laughs> <laughs> you, you are a hero and the noble core is telling you how to do it good. And it just because of how goofy and fun and over the top this was to write it was a lot easier to maintain that momentum for sure. But I also think it's a good showcase of like, like we talked about with the tactic stuff for D and D about like really like saying what this is and just like having the fun of like going all in on that sort of singular idea. Cause then I think it creates something so much more resonant and also something so much more. I feel like the ideas come together so much better when you're like, this is the singular thing that I'm trying to do. This noble core is fun and fictiony and the mechanics sort of get out of the way. Cause you're really counting successes versus failures in the system. And there's explosion dice. So that's like your epic critical moments. So you have like all these fun bits, but you're still never really sure when, where success ends until all the dice stop rolling, which is crazy. Oh yeah, which which is we learned over the weekend when we played it is great. It's super fun. (laughs) Stand by the mechanic. It's super swingy, and (laughs) exploding dice are like both exciting and horrible at the same time because they they have a chance of just counteracting themselves so like you see sixes and you're like oh no hopefully these aren't ones when we re-roll them yeah oh that's so good yeah we it's it was great we also i like if i was going to change anything after that play test i would add Mm. we 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 made the spaceship a character like we just followed character creation for the spaceship that the team had mm-hmm. as a group and that was great like we made the spaceship its own character in the party and that like added a lot there's a lot of emergent mm-hmm. world building from the character creation process that allowed you... what go ahead no you go ahead no oh, it just it allowed Like, I don't like prep. I'm a bad GM that doesn't want to have to work on anything before I sit down at the table. I would rather just have, uh, like, kind of spitball and vibe it out as we play. And this game, just the players do all the world building for you. And then you just sort of use keywords from their character sheets and from the galaxy creation stuff. I was going to oh shit, what was I going to say? 
Oh, the the character the, the ship as character makes you think a lot about I don't know if you're familiar with this anime, but it's called Outlaw Star. And I'm not familiar with many animes. Oh, but this oh hey, during my walk this morning while I was thinking about this interview, I realized that this game would probably make a hype anime like system. Yeah. yeah. Just big over the top Dragon Ball Z nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody write that hack, Jeremy. Hack the game. Yeah. Make <laughs> the the shonen. The Noble Corps Shonen, Sh- Shonen Corps. <laughs> there you go, Shonen Corps, do it. But in, in Outlaw Star, the ship has sort of like a personality to it. It's an AI, and the ship fights like it has it has humanoid arms that detach from it. They're called <laughs> grappler arms. And, Heck uh, yeah. And they hold, it's so funny, because the idea is that like, you have, you have star fighting combat, where it's basically ships sumo wrestling each other. And like, it's, you know, you could have a ship that has lasers, but instead you have a ship that has gap grappler arms and pulls out its own small SMG and like a Bowie knife. Hell yeah. I love it. That's so fucking cool. In space. Oh, that is ridiculous. That's the kind of dumb stuff I love. Like our spaceship. Let me, I've got the note cards right here. So the, it's title was the last organic ship. And so we just extrapolated that to mean it was like it's a parasitic species that overtake other vessels and Mm -hmm. makes them into spaceships. Mm -hmm. And so it was just this like bulbous mass of flesh in space. Mm -hmm. Uh, And its weapon had it had a giant space trebuchet. (laughs) (laughs) How does it even work? Who cares? We had a like some of the best stuff. These note cards are great. Like extrapolating from character creation to like add key, like add world building elements to the setting is so much fun. I love doing that just in general. Like game or games should do that. But we had like one of the characters was a whole school of space fish. Mm-hmm. We had just some really silly stuff fire breathing space unicorns is written down somewhere (laughs) but also amazing yeah it's great i love it i love it anyway yeah spaceships as a character i i and i think that's a, a part of space nautical fiction is like the ship is a character it's a thing in firefly also yeah uh, it's yeah. like ah well the ship is a character so and it mechanically adds a lot to the game so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i love it again iteration upon iteration in a fast rapid environment it's pretty good it's good iteration is how you get good at get good at things and create good things because your first iteration <laughs> you is bad good. yeah <laughs> first, first drafts are bad usually in my yeah. experience. With all that, you have a lot of um, game writing sort of pedigree about you. But you said that one of the topics you kind of want to get into the show is like coming into the industry and stuff like that. Uh, I assume meaning the tabletop role-playing game space. So what has been your experience so far in creating tabletop role-playing games recently? Well, I made Noble Core a month ago. 
and yeah. I post about it on Twitter sometimes, and I think it's got like five downloads. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I think it's mostly like getting into any industry. Uh, tabletop role playing sure. game has been better than board games for sure. That's a nightmare. But like, it's it's like being any creative on the internet is about just f- having people find out you exist. And mm-hmm. uh, the tabletop RPG community online has been way better about that than most stuff. Because there's just, like, people constantly talking. I think game designers like talking about games a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they tend to, like, they tend to want to talk to you about that. And they tend to want to share cool things they find about that. I just don't. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I don't know. Do you, you're, you, you are working on games, Jeremy. And I, Yes. And you've been doing this podcast for what, like a year? Yeah, the anniversary is coming up in like two weeks or something like that, per the recording of this episode. Yeah, how, like... Like how did how how is your journey through the tabletop RPG industry going? Having not like like you you're a, a pillar of the community now, or <laughs> a pillar of a community at least. I'm gonna throw up from blushing. Thanks for turning the question back on me. <laughs> it has been a it's been a treat to meet a ton of people, and I think something I've discovered about myself in my want to be a game designer is that I think there is I think it's the same sort of uh, concepts we have about the supply and demand of game masters for games, right? 
tons of players, not a lot of game masters. So it's hard to like facilitate games. It's hard to like get someone who's going to read your book front to back and figure out how to get people engaged and parse out the information of your system. You know, often on this show, I accredit people to being like hardware computers and games are software and not every software works with every operating system and not every like not every computer speaks well to the other computers sometimes and so i guess what this is all sort of circling is that i started this show to become a game designer. Like I wanted to learn from a bunch of people and get their insights so that I wouldn't have to go to college for like game theory or some bullshit like that. And I guess not that game theory college is bad. Sorry for anyone I may have offended (laughs) with that. I I don't mean it to be offensive, but like I just, I can't afford to go back to college. Right. And I also can't afford to go back to college for like four years. And I also think there's something very valuable in mentorship. So I just make every guest my mentor essentially. And what I've come to discover is that I think there are so many game authors out there and game authors more support staff members. So support staff members in this case are the GMs that have a high demand for, you know, publishers, editors, press, mother effing, visual layouts, artists, illustrators, you know, there's Printers. a lot of there's a lot of stuff outside of the game design process that right it, yeah that needs that needs some attention and I think as this show continues to evolve into sort of like looking at the business of game design it's also about like learning about how to build a business out of being a game author or any of those support members. And how to connect with people and network and communicate and project manage. God, project management is a fucking huge one. And and that doesn't even cover like the actual play spectrum of the industry where that is also press content for your game with actors, the GMs in those games, directors of those projects, all the asset builders, graphic designers, uh, the stream engineers, right? Like, there's a lot of hands that go into the success of a game. I mean, I would like to attribute D&D's success in the media that's that has it, right? Like Stranger Things is a really big stepping stone for them in terms of its ratings and, and how it connected to those elements. There have been many other cartoons that have been using like a classic dungeon. Like I remember there's an episode in the new the newer Voltron animated series where they have like a whole D&D episode. And that's part of its success is that it just it gets kind of drip fed into a lot of different nerd culture phenomenon and even even some like non nerd culture stuff. And so I think that a lot more indie games would be a little bit more successful. That's not necessarily true. I think that part of the thing that we're missing is just like the support like i think there's a bigger community that could come together in terms of of the game design culture and not just like tabletop games but even like board games larps video games I mean, video games get a huge amount of coverage with like let's plays and stuff right so yeah twitch streaming that yeah huge alone twitch streaming alone yeah has really been like a bolster for the for the games industry and showcasing like yeah. 
every every single like kid or adult or person that wants to uh, become a let's play streamer, they have to buy a game to do yeah. that, right? Albeit any piracy things, but like you have to buy Darkest Dungeon Two, which is like really big on my YouTube search stuff, and like Fire Emblem Three Kingdoms, or is that what it's called? I don't remember. Three Hearts, Three Houses. Three Houses, I think is what it's called. You know, the new Final Fantasy VII remake that came out, a lot of people were streaming and doing stuff on. So, like, that all converts into the business of game design. So I think if there was just, like, people who were willing to support, but also we have to make sure that we take care of those people that are supporting our games, right? right? I think something else to consider is that, like, when people make a game, they budget for the visual layout pit person. They budget for the artist. They budget for the editor. But no one really like budgets for the press, which is one of the, like key components for getting your game out there or actual play people, right? Like not a lot of people are expecting to pay actual play actors to showcase their game, especially when you're trying to do like a marketing campaign for it. So I just, I still think there are some conversations about like, how do we ultimately, this is all to say that like, I think there is room for people to express themselves in a support manner in games rather than trying to figure out how to make it in the industry by making a game. And I'm not saying that's overly saturated. I'm just saying like, if if creative writing is not your thing, but editing is fucking do that there. There's so many indie games that maybe kind of need an editor or someone who's like really good at copywriting and like can bring out the most. I'm not saying that's noble core because noble core is great fiction narrative built into the rules, but you know, it's, I think there's opportunities and places that aren't the obvious is basically what I'm alluding to. And that's, that's how it's been for me. I've been discovering that like, I don't really like writing mechanics. I like writing fiction. So I like writing settings, I like to make adventures. Like that's my, thing i don't really want to like explore dice math and stuff yeah i don't i couldn't tell you the statistics on these dice in noble core <laughs> let me tell you that i try <laughs> opened up any dice and i spent like a few hours trying to figure out how to code this into that and i couldn't <laughs> so i decided i didn't care it's yeah. fun <laughs> yeah i i think that's the part of my approach like i like when i found itch a year ago or whatever and i went wow you can just put games on the internet that's cool that's great that i like it felt more approachable than any other creative industry i've been engaged with Mm -hmm. uh running haunted mansion has always been like a creative outlet and i had 15 to 30 people show up every month and tell me my game was sweet and that is (laughs) the dopamine that i needed Uh, (laughs) and, and it's it's harder to get that with things you post on the internet and it, it, it's hard to get eyes on it because you don't have people showing up to play your game with you. So, like, itch is a really great tool to get it out there, but then you need to get people to find it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you need to, like, networking is one of the parts. Of, like, I'm just trying to meet people now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, to, like, to meet the industry and, like, find other people and their cool games and projects. But yeah, it's like, it's so, it seems overwhelming to approach the, like, the industry, any industry, and go, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to be a part of that. Especially, like, the internet makes it so, like, the industry feels like 
this massive conglomerate of people who have made it. But those are just the people I happen to follow on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's like I'm overwhelmed by the concept of trying to make people play my games. <laughs> and, yeah. and and so I like the I like what you're doing here. This is great because it, it's just like a way to find new games and find new people that make games. And like the 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 Discord for the the your DYD Discord has been cool for that because the Brain Trust Discord has a lot of people in it, and that's even more overwhelming. Yeah, I, that's yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm just overwhelmed by the sheer quantity of other people, and yeah. I'm bad at interacting with people on the internet. So, and, and like the sheer quantity of like game designers, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. that's a really big part of it. Everyone's like making a game in, uh, I guess, in the vacuum of these two spaces. Like, no one's really like doing, like, talking about support mm-hmm. work style stuff. There are a couple, I think there are a couple publishers in Brain Trust, like uh, Floating Chair. I know that. Oh, shit. Who else is in there? I think Spear Witch is in there, maybe. Yeah, I think Spear Witch is in there. And then Exalted, one of the Exalted Funeral people might be in there. But I could totally be wrong. But, you know, they're all talking about, like, hey, you know, these are these are some mechanics I've been moving about around. And everyone has, like, a conversation about mechanics. And, you know, I've been thinking about, like, what is play? And then everyone has a conversation about what is play. And these are all very, like, philosophical questions around the the concept of game writing. And I think in tandem with yours and what I was trying to say before, but I lost my way, but here it is, (laughs) is like, you can be a part of any industry in a lot of different ways that are maybe more suited to your personal strengths. When you think about helping the greater community overall, right? If not everyone wants to be an editor for games, then you can be, if that's your jam, you can be an editor for games. I know that's how, um, by Huntsman, I'm a waffle bunny on Twitter has gotten into the industry along with being a little bit of press as well. Uh, they have a YouTube channel called collaborate collaborations without permission, but they also just do editing. They don't really like write games, but they help support the industry by talking about games they're really interested in and getting work as editor for different projects. And they're still, they are in the game industry. They're just not the one writing the game. And I think that's totally okay. And I think that's something to be aware of when you sort of like first come in here and everyone's like, you know, buy my game, check (laughs) out my game. Here's community copies of my game. Or talking about like PBTA mechanics. What does it mean to be a PBTA game? And like, you don't have to, I mean, it's cool if you engage with those things, but like that doesn't have to be the lens that you work in the industry. And like, I've, I mentioned a ton of jobs before that you could easily do and like get paid for if you wanted to as well. Yeah. And I mean, like part of the, my experience running Haunted Mansion was, running like organizing a team of four people to write that post social media like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but i've always interacted like that's the other thing coming from larp you interact with such a small scale of the of the in like of the world like Mm -hmm. i had my small town of eight thousand people (laughs) and that was our that was our our population to interact with Mm -hmm. so we didn't really 
have the like the ability to dr- go further than that and like i'm being a like being like you need a team of people to make yeah. something happen i mean you can do it from the ground up by yourself it's a lot of work i'm bad mm. at art a visual art is not my forte at all so like and, but artists cost money like it feels like you need a team of people to get together to do something and you I have no experience with that and seeing all these really talented people doing that on the internet is oh, so cool and so mm-hmm. daunting for me at least. Like I, I just see it. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm going <laughs> to gonna go back to running my little game in my house. <laughs> I mean, I think about when you talk about that, I think about people like Spencer Campbell. I think about, Tony Vicinda, I think about the all the crew over at Utopia. I think about how Exalted Funeral puts projects together. And just all those people I mentioned are like really good at bringing together mm-hmm. uh, people around. I mean, Tony, Tony Vicinda and Marcus with uh, Down We Go, Spencer Campbell with the Slayer's Almanac Atlas that's being worked on right now. In addition to all of like the Nova collaborations and Utopia for putting on wonderfully diverse actual plays on the regular and so many other people that I probably haven't mentioned or don't know are also doing very similar things when they think about how to collaborate on projects and and that's just to like sort of piggyback on what you were saying in terms of like it takes a team to really like really crush out a thing or a long like individual pedigree that also helps the long division of your work right like showing your work to the final point your portfolio if Mm -hmm. one might say that yeah my my friend quinn has a publishing company they started back during quarantine and they codex borealis publishing.com i believe plug and they're putting together like a a zine a quarterly zine that i I have a game coming out in next probably first quarter next year i think that but they're 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 basically they're just sourcing artists to, to try to like put a bunch of different stuff into like a niche art zine and i'm really Mm -hmm. like that's so cool i'm really like jealous of the 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 drive to like i'm sure if i put my mind to it i my experience with haunted mansion and stuff i I, i'm pretty good at project management and Mm -hmm. running running projects but like that's so cool to just go i just want to showcase other people's stuff in this book and like I I think that kind of work is really cool and I want I like I want to kind of maybe I'll start looking at more ways to do that kind of thing just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. get people together that's one of the things that I just I I don't know how to do <laughs> I don't I'm I'm bad at meeting new people Jeremy <laughs> Well you've been doing a great job here today and over on the Discord server so Yeah maybe uh, not the Discord's been great think. Yeah maybe not <laughs> all right i think i think that's gonna bring us to the top of the show here eric thank you so much for being here today i really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me and talk to everyone who's listening 
And uh, would you just give a brief outro once again of like who you are, how people can get in touch with you, how people can get Noble Core and stuff like that. All of these links that Eric will be providing will be down below in the show notes for your access. Yeah, I'm Eric Faber. I'm at Airborne Ham on Twitter, Airborne with an E at the end, and airborneham.itch.io. That's where you can get Noble Core. It's eight dollars. And yeah, you can say hi to me so that I that I don't have to reach out to you because that's stressful. <laughs> Aw, thank you everyone for hanging out with us. I learned a lot from Eric today. I hope you did too. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Say bye to the people, Eric. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey there, listeners. Thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Eric and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources below in the show notes for getting in touch with Eric and other content with similar topics. Support Jeremy and the DYD podcast by reviewing the show, joining the community Discord server, and donating either on Patreon or Ko-Fi. Thanks again for listening, and remember that design is a marathon, so enjoy the journey and have a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.